The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Gork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy. On this week's show, AFLW expert Mike Curran is back to talk about the opening fixtures of the 2023 AFLW season in Australia, plus news of Irish signing Tanya Kennedy and much, much more. Munster women's rugby expert Wendy Keenan has details of the 2023 Vodafone women's interprovincial fixtures and the Munster call-ups for this year's Irish women's under-20 international squad. Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me to discuss Daniel Ricciardo's comeback and we preview this weekend's Hungarian Grand Prix. Cork Senior Camogie Manager Matthew Toomey joins me to preview Saturday's Glen Dimplex All-Ireland Senior Camogie Semi-Final with Galway. Cork and Cavan drew this year's All-Ireland LGFA Under-16 Final and I got reaction from the Rebels manager Kieran O'Shea ahead of next week's eagerly anticipated replay. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport Podcast. AFLW expert and Aussie rules coach to the stars, Mike Curran, is back on the big red bench to give us his expert opinion on all the latest on and off-field AFLW news. Mike has over 20 years' experience of the AFLW, playing, coaching and managing, and remains an integral link between future Irish AFLW stars and a first contact for all those Irish women currently under AFLW contracts in Australia. Now, it has been a while, but it's never a bad time to talk to the main man when it comes to AFLW and Irish players evolved. Um, across in Australia about to set off on the final leg of their pre-season before the brand new 2023 season begins. As ever, we're delighted here on the Big Red Bench for probably the busiest man I know, uh, Mike Curran, coach to the stars and uh, expert on all things AFLW to rejoin us here on the Big Red Bench. Mike, how are you? Very good, Jerry. Nice to be back with an update. Yes, an update, because even though the season is still some way off, we have some big headlines hitting us already. And I suppose the big one to start with, Mike, is we now know when the season is starting and we have the opening round of fixture lists and some real heavy hitters in action early doors. Absolutely, yeah. It's the it's what everyone has been waiting for, I suppose. And finally, this week, we have a fixture announced by AFLW for season 2023. Uh, the dates are locked in. We knew the season was going to start on the weekend of the 1st or 2nd of September, that was penciled in for a while, but nobody knew where they were playing, who they were playing, what the opposition was, what the schedule was for the year. Um, that has now been nailed down. A fixture was released in the last couple of days, and the season will kick off on that weekend on Friday, the 1st of September, with a blockbuster of a game um, where Melbourne are going to be in action at Icon Park. And there has been 10 rounds announced and there's going to be four rounds of finals. So we're ending up with an almost identical season in terms of format to last year. So 10 rounds, 90 home and away matches, a phenomenal amount of games. And remember, we've got 33 Irish players playing across 14 clubs. So it's going to be a, a task to keep up with them all. And then we've got four weeks of finals after that. But it all kicks off on that opening night, the block, that blockbuster game, it's Melbourne versus Collingwood, mm. under lights at Icon Park on Friday the 1st of September. There are also some other big games across the weekend on Saturday and into Sunday as well, uh, Mike, because it's, as you said, it's a big weekend to start with. It feels like a long way away, but it isn't in, the, in, the early, in early September. As you said, Melbourne and Collingwood is a really big one to kick off it on a Friday night. But across that weekend, Adelaide taking on Port Adelaide as well is one that caught my eye um, on the Saturday. Not to mention um, Sydney and Greater Western Sydney hit the North Sydney Oval on Sunday. Yeah, definitely. Look at it. As you said there, it's 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 six weeks away, but we've we've already got through seven weeks of preseason, so it's rolling nicely in. And now that the fixtures are out, it gives all the clubs a focus. But yeah, I think they've set it up this way deliberately. Round one is all about the derbies um, all over the place. There's a derby in every state, effectively. We've the Western Derby uh, between Fremantle and uh, West Coast in West Australia. We've the showdown, as it's known, up in South Australia between Adelaide Crows and Port Adelaide. going to be massive interest in that game. We've the Sydney Derby again this year. We had the first one last season, um, Sydney Swans versus GWS Giants. Uh, um, of course, Sydney Swans will now have four Irish players this season. We'll touch on that in a bit more detail in a minute. Uh, the Giants took that out last year, but it was Swans' inaugural season, and they're already looking like a lot stronger outfit this time around. So, yeah, it's the blockbuster opening on Friday night and derbies across all the states across the full weekend. So that, that's going to be very exciting for fans everywhere. 
It certainly is. And as you said, it's not far away, but that opening round on Friday, September the 1st, Saturday, September the 2nd, and Sunday, September the 3rd, big, big blockbuster opening weekend. But it's not just that opening weekend, Mike, because across the season, as you said, there are some really, really big matches to keep an eye on before we get into um, the knockout stages and we talk about the finals. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you could you could spend forever talking about the games, but if you just pick out a few of them, obviously every game on that opening weekend is huge. You then have a few um, key events happening. We've Geelong playing against Melbourne Demons for the first time ever in the history of AFLW, so that's going to be a really interesting one. They've avoided each other for the last number of seasons. Um, you then, if you look a little bit further along, we've got Hawthorne facing Brisbane in round five. The last time they played, Lions won by 54 points um, in a serious win for them. But bear in mind that Hawthorne have swooped on two of the Lions stars um, in the off-season there as part of the priority signing period that we talked about way back. And they've got Emily Bates, who's one of the best players in the competition, and Greta Bodie now running out in the, the brown and gold for Hawthorne. So there's going to be a bit of interest and bite to that one for sure. Uh, looking ahead then again, um, you've also got Geelong playing against North Melbourne again. They played in the finals last season and North came out on top of that. Geelong have never beaten North Melbourne. This time around, Geelong are going to have three Irish players um, and so are North Melbourne Kangaroos. So there's going to be huge Irish interest in that one. And if you look at round eight, we've got um, Melbourne Demons in action again against North Melbourne, which is a repeat of the preliminary final from, from yeah. last season, um, which Melbourne barely got over that one. And of course, they went on to win the grand final. So yeah, I could go on, but there's literally games to be picked out in every single round. As I say, with that number of Irish players across that amount of clubs, um, every game is of interest. But they're just some of the highlight ones to, to look out to from the initial fixture. Yes, there is so much to look forward to this season, as you said. And we'll be talking extensively about the Irish players as the season goes on. There's so many to talk about. But does the fact that we have a fixture list, Mike, does the fact that we have an opening weekend, we have dates, we have venues, when we have throw-in times, maybe if it's not called throw-in times, but kick-off times or whatever, does this mean that the CBA is done? And this is something we spoke about in previous um, interviews. It's a big part of what is happening or what needs to happen in AFLW, but does all this now mean that that's sorted? Uh, the short answer is no, <laughs> I suppose. Okay. Basically what it means... Uh, the CBA protracted negotiations, as we know, we've talked about them between the AFL and the AFL Players Association, are still ongoing at the moment. But they have finalised the fixture for this year just so that everybody can focus on that because obviously time is running by very quickly on that one. So they've got season 23 out of the way. There is yet to be an agreement as to the length of the competition going forward. You'll remember us talking a couple of weeks ago about the players wanting more, more games this season. We've ended up with a similar season to last year, but there is... Um, on foot of that, a commitment from the AFL for growth in AFLW games from 2024 on. So reading between the lines, that would see that the number of games will start going up, but it will be from next year on. Uh, how many games that will be, etc., is all still being hashed out. So we have a fixture, we're ready to go, but how the competition looks from 2024 on and for whatever number of years they agree, CBA, it's likely to be a multiple year, maybe three or five years, that's still to be decided. The other thing that is decided already, which is good because we also had this chat last year, is the grand final date and venue have been confirmed. As in, the grand final will take place on Sunday, December 3rd. I'm looking at my flights already for that one. <laughs> but um, last year, you'll remember again, at the end of the season, there was all sorts of issues about where the grand final is going to be played. Mm. Uh, they hadn't venues nailed down. There was issues with crickets and clashes and stuff. So they have now listed out eight possible venues for the grand final across the various cities. And obviously, depending on what teams make the grand final, the higher ranked team from the season will get the home grand final there. So again, there's certainty in that um, from early days, which is good to see. Yeah, it is. And it's good to hear that too. I think they're getting, I think they've learned the lessons from last season, maybe a few lessons have been learned and they're trying to impl implement them properly now this time around. And as look, as you've explained multiple times to us here on the Big Red Bench, collective bargaining agreements are not straightforward. They take a long time, but it's just, I was getting ahead of myself maybe there. It just seems so positive with the picture list and with everything that was going ahead that maybe, you know, the time was coming when they'd finally know the plan for the next three to five years, because this very quickly, Mike, is crucial. The, the popularity of AFLW has never been greater, not just on this side of the world, but certainly in Australia. And, you know, getting that CBA right is going to be the foundation for future success, correct? Absolutely, yeah. And look, as we've touched on it before, we're on the road to full-time professionalism here for these female athletes, uh, the Irish and Australian girls, which is absolutely fantastic to see. So it is very important to get it right at some stage across the next few seasons. 
these Irish girls and these Aussie girls will be playing full-time professional sport, which will be amazing uh, to see that. But already, as per this season, we see teams now, almost every team is training uh, a day trade session dur- during the week. So the commitment has got much higher. We talked about pre-season starting, but in reality, all of the clubs and all the players have been training since last January. Uh, so the work, the commitment that's going in is getting bigger and bigger every year. We're now up to 18 teams uh, fully fledged and in the competition. So yeah, it's critically important um, to get it right. It is heading in the right direction. We know the players and the clubs want more games quickly and we know the AFL are kind of looking at a slower approach. But I think from 2024 on now, we'll start to see the number of home and away games building and the season will gradually get a bit longer and longer. And I know it's been earmarked before that twenty around 2026 is the season that the clubs and players would like to see the game go fully professional. But um it's slowly heading in the right direction and the correct decisions are being made and plenty of time has been taken to to discuss it all. Uh, I know we're always sitting here waiting for decisions to be made and stuff, but um, it's brilliant for the future of the game without question. Certainly is and something I know we're going to be coming back to. Another thing we're going to be talking about a lot this year as well, obviously, are the Irish players. We haven't time to go through all 30 out of them now, but we will get to them at some stage between here and before the season starts. But one Irish signing that has caught your attention, Mike, and you wanted to speak about, and that's Tanya Kennedy. Why is that? Yeah, well, firstly, uh, I suppose we had 32 Irish players confirmed at the end of the, the, the signing trade period and all the various drafts and all that, and that was a phenomenal number, the highest ever. Um, we now have number 33, so... Um, an extra Irish player has picked up a list spot. It is Tanya Kennedy at Sydney Swans. And Tanya is from Donegal. She had actually moved to Sydney in 2012 and has been in Australia for a while. But um, fans of the LGFA will have noted that she flew home last year to play with Donegal in their uh, extended championship run. And she actually earned herself uh, an All-Star nomination uh, in the backs last year, most notably for one very good game on, on Vicky Wall when they played meet. But Tanya Kennedy based in Sydney, has been playing GA there, has been playing some local AFLW there, um, has got a train on spot at the Swans across the last couple of months. And due to an injury, and, and this is why it's very important that there's always an opportunity, um, due to an injury at the Swans, she was given a lift spot there this week. So she becomes the fourth Irish Sydney Swans player, which is brilliant. So we know Irish Swans last year. We have four now. Um, when you uh, add Tanya to Jennifer Higgins, Paris McCarthy and Julia Sullivan, we also have Colin O'Reardon from Tipperary, who's a defensive coach with the Sydney Swans. And coincidentally, he plays Gaelic football at the same club that Tanya does at, at Clonagale in Bondi. And I think that he had an influence in getting her involved as a trainer. So it just goes to show, uh, as always, uh, keep yourself in, in the right place at the right time and keep persevering. She, she has put in a huge effort across the last number of years. So um, it's brilliant to see another Irish player signed <laughs> up to 33 um, and there's still, I suppose, how that happens is that even all the sign and trade players are all done and dusted. There is a scenario that if a player or if a club is forced to put somebody on an inactive list for whatever reason, normally it's injury or work commitments or something like that, they can replace a player that goes on the inactive list with another player that had nominated for the draft. So that's the technical side of it. But in reality, what it means is that a pl- there's still an opportunity for a player to join the list right up to the week, uh, the weekend before round one. And we saw the same happen last season when Megan Ryan from Tipperary, who was based in Adelaide at the time, got a spot at Essendon literally a few days before the season started as an injury replacement as well. So we are up to, to 33 and it's brilliant uh, to see Tanya joining the other Irish players at the Swans. It absolutely is. What a, what a fantastic story. And as you said, it just shows it for people or for players who are on the periphery and just waiting for their opportunity that it can happen. Um, even when you think it mightn't happen and somebody like Tanya Kennedy being added now to that roster is going to help in, in, enhance Sydney even more so. And as you said, four, four Irish players involved. We'll certainly be talking a lot about them and hopefully Tanya Kennedy as the season goes on. Finally, Mike, uh, one more news item of interest to Irish players in the AFLW and some players who have been added to leadership groups. And maybe you can just briefly explain what is a leadership group for those who may not know, but who do follow the AFLW. Yeah, so there's a leadership group at every club. Effectively, it's made up of senior players. You'll have your captain and your vice captain and a certain number of leadership players or leaders, as they're known, that will be generally uh, elected by their teammates or uh, across the club. Um, So it's a a very, I suppose, important position within the team. And it's brilliant to see some of the Irish players 
getting voted in or nominated into these leadership positions. I suppose it just goes to show that the Irish players are excelling on and off the field and leading by example. Um, Anya Tai has been added to the leadership group at Fremantle Dockers. Not a bit surprising, I suppose, from from us watching Anya play across the last few seasons. She's a brilliant player, brilliant person off the pitch, leading by example. So she has been added to the leadership group at Dockers for the first time. So that's brilliant for Anya and congrats to her. And then we have Ashley McCarthy at West Coast Eagles, who has been renamed on the leadership group. So Ashley has been on the leadership group at Eagles since her first season there, which is a phenomenal achievement as well. But again, another player who, who does her talking on the pitch and leads by example and helps to raise the standards across the club, as do all the Irish players in fairness. I suppose that's one part of feedback that comes back continuously to me from working with the clubs and the players is that the Irish girls bring huge commitments and huge determination and they just lift the standards at every training session, at every game. So uh, congrats to the two girls there added to leadership groups for the season ahead. Excellent stuff. Loads of positive news about the 33 Irish players. We haven't even got to the first round yet, Mike. So that just tells me that there's lots more news to come between now and that opening weekend in September. But uh, so much to look forward to this season. So many stories, so many Irish uh, players as well. They're going to be heavily involved. I can't wait. I know you can't either. And I know we're going to be talking about it extensively on the big red bench throughout the season. But for now, in the midst of what's supposed to be a nice, quiet preseason, but clearly isn't, uh, Mike Coran, thank you very, very much for your time and your expertise here from everybody on the big red bench. No problem, Jared. Thanks as always. Chat soon. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to offer us her expert opinion on all things rugby and review all the latest provincial, clubs, schools and adult results, scorers and upcoming fixtures. Plus, we have all the latest Munster Rugby and International Rugby news making the headlines. Now, delighted to be joined here on the Big Red Bench once again by Munster Women's Rugby expert and rugby expert in general, Wendy Keenan, who's on holidays. And even on holidays, she's still dialing in, doing the doing the hard graft during the off-season for us here on the Big Red Bench to talk about all things Munster Women's Rugby. So we really do appreciate it, Wendy. How are you, first of all? I'm great. I couldn't be any better down in Kerry here looking out of the sea, so all good. There's no bad time to look out of the sea, especially if you're in Kerry. And we appreciate it, as I said, because I know you're on holiday, so we don't want to delay you too much. We have a lot to talk about, though, even though the season has yet to begin. There's an awful lot going on and the season is about to begin. Let's start with the senior interprovincial fixtures, because you've got information and dates on those. I have, and I suppose, look, just before we mention those fixtures, I want to congratulate the under-20 um, uh, men's team on a superb performance in the World Cup. Silver medalist out in South Africa, a wonderful achievement. But yes, we have the fixtures now for the Vodafone Women's Interpros. They've been released. And I suppose, before I go into the fixtures, just to say that there's 45 in the training squad at the moment. So that's what Neil Briggs and Behaze have selected. So they're training away in preparation for the four-round series. And that's going to start on the 12th of August. So they'll launch the defence of their title in Armagh, um, a new a new fixture for them on the 12th of, of August versus Ulster and that is going to be live on uh, TG Carter um, on their YouTube channel and the remaining matches then will be on their channel free to air but round two will be on the 19th of August and um, we'll host Connacht down in Musgrave Park and then finally probably the match that most people are interested in is we'll head up to Leinster to play in Energy Park um, uh, 4.45 there for that match and the finals will take place on the 2nd of September venue hasn't been named yet for that but I, I expect that'll be named in the next couple of days so look exciting few weeks coming up there in August for the, the senior interpros and they'll have their four rounds of matches that'll lead into the WAIL which will start in late September and then Ireland World um, XB's campaign will begin in Dubai then in October so it's a busy time and um, they'll have started their pre-season training. They're training hard now and uh, all to play for, as they say. I would imagine, Wendy, and you know this from experience, that once a player sees a fixture list and they're up, they're part of a very large panel at the moment, that panel, you know, it, naming that panel for the match day for the Vodafone Interpros, now the training steps up. Now the, uh, the effort goes up that little bit more because you have a target date, you know when you're playing and you want to be part of that setup. You want to get into Neil Briggs' first team. Yeah, look, it's a competitive squad. We've got a scene, a lot of the younger girls coming through from our age grade structures. So they're coming through. A few of the girls now that have played with the Irish under-18s, you know, they're breaking into that senior squad. So they're putting pressure on those, you know, I hate to say older players, but those players that have been in situ in their positions. And that's what we want. We want competition at training, hard training sessions to prepare them for the series so they can go out and do a three in a, ho- in a row, hopefully. 
Yes, and as you said, I think it's fantastic as well that we know when those dates are and the fact that TG Carr are getting behind it, I think it's going to only increase because, look, let's face it, the men's game is going to be front and centre come September with the World Cup, but that's good news for the women's game as well because there'll be rugby in all the newspapers, rugby across the media and rugby across, of course, ourselves here on Big Red Bench talking about it and keeping it to the front uh, front and centre, which is what we actually, which is what you want to do. Um, and as we said, let's hope that Munster can hit the ground running. Playing in Armagh will be unique, uh, as we said in that opening game with Ulster, then Connacht down in Musgrave Park, which will be a fantastic occasion. And then, of course, there's never a bad time to play Leinster, as you know yourself. Uh, plenty of eyeballs will be on that one as well. Let's hope Munster can at least get back to the final and defend that title. But good news that we've got fixtures and dates and they're going to come around so, so fast. Now, yeah. we spoke last week about the Irish under-20 selection and we hoped uh, that we would have as many Munster players on that selection as possible. But disappointingly, and this is my opinion before you have your much more expert opinion, only two names uh, from Munster, if I'm not uh, mistaken, Wendy, on the Irish under-20 squad. So look, congratulations to the two players, obviously, but that's not what we were hoping for. We were hoping for a few more. No, I mean, we did name the players that I got into the 44 um, screening camp, you know what I mean, and that had been included, you know what I mean, in training squads. But when it came to the final selection, 26 players, um, we had Kate Flannery from UL Bowes, we had Ellen Moylan, she's listed at Black Rock, but she's originally um, Carrigan Shore, so we claim her as our Munster player. We are disappointed. However, we do know that the players that didn't get selected this time do have another year under their belt to go, you know what I mean? So hopefully we can build on those numbers. Um, But look, uh, behind the scenes, I'll be honest, as I always am, we are disappointed that we have only two players selected when we look at the other provinces and the representation they have. Um, you know, we don't have somebody in the, the I suppose, in the in the coaching um, set up there either. So that's something that we need to work on as well to make sure that we can push for our uh, Munster players to increase that representation. But let's be positive and congratulate Kate and Ellen on their achievements. Ellen, we've had on the show mm. um, here before um, speaking on behalf of the under-18 girls and she was captioning those um, at Interpro level. So look, um, I'm delighted for the two girls. Yes, and we wish Ireland all the best with that under-20, as we said, selection. And look, only two months of players this time around, but that's not to suggest, as you said, the next time the selection and next year again, uh, the pathways are there now. There's far more players taking part, taking part, many, many more girls than ever involved underage. And I think we're going to see an increase in that number over time, Wendy, if, if it won't be from the want of trying with pathways, with commitment from players and coaches in the Munster province. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, they're, you know, they're training hard. They'll bring that back to their provinces, cases in, you know, and Ellen, they're involved in the Munster senior setup as well. So, um, look, we, we'll move on and, and build on those numbers and stay positive. We will. And speaking of positive, we move from the under 20 or a few uh, women's selection to the Munster under 18 age grade because uh, you have information for us on those as well and upcoming interprovincial games. Yes, so we have our age grade squads, the Munster guys. They've been named for what we call the summer program. So we've uh, thirty girls involved in that, and I'm going to name the clubs because there's seventeen clubs represented, and we've always said, you know, mean that we need more players coming from across the province. So we've done Garvin, Carrigan, Shore, Ballincollig, Tralee, Shannon, Killarney, Kentucky, Well, Bowes, Brough, Ennis, Shannon, Bantry. Bandon, Ballina, Killaloo, Dolphin and Yall. And if I've left out anybody, I'm very sorry. But um, isn't that wonderful to see the spread from all the corners of the province being represented at the moment, you know what I mean? And those girls are training really hard in Limerick and Cork, Wednesdays and Fridays. I think it's Wednesdays in Limerick, Fridays in, and they'll they'll all be looking. They're fighting for those places. They know what's at stake here. They'll face Connacht on the 19th of August. They'll face Leinster on the 26th. And then they'll face Ulster on the 2nd of September. And those girls know that there is an Irish place, at, you know what I mean, um, mm-hmm. on the cards here as well from that, you know, that Irish under 18 structure that ha- uh, was introduced two years ago. So, um, you know, it'll be very, very competitive for that team. So I'm, uh, I'm delighted to see that there's so many clubs represented. Yes, and you've mentioned that before. We've talked about it as well, the spread of clubs, not just with under 18, but even at the clubs and the clubs we did our end of season review the variance across the province in Clare, in, in Tipperary, uh, you know, in Kerry, um, more and more clubs uh, 
welcoming new members this past year. More and more places have been taken and all the summer programmes that the Munster Women's Rugby ran, as you said, they were all full this year. It's only going to get better as time goes on, Wendy. And uh, like just to finish on a positive note, this opportunity for the Munster under 18s, as you said, it's obviously in the provincial championship, so it's fantastic to take part in that. But the Irish coaches' eyes will be on them and this is an opportunity, this is a shop window for those girls. And again, they're already training, they're already on the pathway, they've got fantastic coaching here in the Munster province. They've every chance here of eventually putting on an Irish jersey. They have, and, and I'm going to bring it back as well to the volunteers in the club. Like most of these girls now have come through minis, under 14s, under 16s. So all those coaches that have been involved with these girls, seen the girls named on the summer programme for the, you know, for the under 18s. I mean, it's a very proud moment for the clubs. They're highlighting it across social media. But I think it's very special for their coaches, you know, to say that they've played a part in the development of this individual player. And, um, you know, to see that girl in their red jersey, the new red jersey that we've seen the launch of there over the last couple of weeks, um, pretty special. It is, and it's fantastic. As we said, so much to look forward to. It's only around the corner. The season never stops for Munster Women's Rugby. That's what I've learned more than anything from speaking to you, Wendy. There is no off-season. There's always something happening. Um, but isn't it fantastic that we've got so many fantastic matches interprovincial across the grades and at an international level as well to look forward to. But for now, we let you back to your holiday. We really do appreciate you talking to us here on the Big Red Bench, Wendy Keenan, and uh, enjoy what's left of your holiday. And we're, you're back at work again with us next week. <laughs> I will be back in Cork next week. Thank you very much, Jerry. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Resident Red FM Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me on the Big Red Bench to discuss all the latest on and off-track Formula One headlines around the 2023 season. You can find more of Sarah McKenzie Foley's expert Formula One analysis on her active social media accounts on YouTube, Sarah McKenzie F1, Instagram, MacGram underscore, and on Twitter, MacTweets underscore. On the Big Red Bench, I am delighted once again to be joined by Cork's Red FM's resident Formula One expert on all things Formula One and motorsport as well, Sarah McKenzie Foley, who joins me to talk about the Hungarian Grand Prix, which we're going to look ahead to, and a familiar name is back in our lives once again. But first of all, Sarah, welcome back. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, great. I'm... I'm torn about this first topic, but I'm generally happy about the fact that we get Daniel Ricciardo's uh, set of teeth back in the Formula One paddock. That unmistakable Aussie smile is back in our lives and it's like (laughs) he was never away. So for those who don't know, we're going to get the background to it here from Sarah, but um, a name very familiar to Formula One fans, Daniel Ricciardo is back in Formula One, but... And here comes the but, Sarah. He has replaced Nick de Vries um, and he will be right back in for the Hungarian Grand Prix, which we're going to preview shortly. But there's a big backstory to this. So tell us what you know about Ricardo's comeback, but also about Nick de Vries and how, how it's been handled. Yeah, so as we know, Red Bull have a history of being quite cutthroat with Alpha Terry and also, to be fair, with the drivers that get promoted up to the Red Bull Racing team as well. You know, we saw it with Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon most recently. And uh, unfortunately, Nick de Vries had been not performing well at all. You know, it's I mean, it's his rookie season. He hadn't scored any points. He had racked up nearly a million dollars worth of car damage already in 10 races and basically, they just they weren't willing to put up with it. Um, it's worth noting as well, he didn't come from the Red Bull Academy. He came from outside, from kind of the Mercedes-Williams uh, partnership, and it just didn't work. But his team was essentially told this news and decided that they were going to scupper Alpha Terry and Red Bull's announcement plans. So they actually leaked the the news to some Dutch newspapers and, and media outlets and of course it, it came out straight away because the the Formula One rumour mill is so strong and as a result we have not seen a single post or any piece of recognition from Red Bull or Alpha Tauri, um you know acknowledging De Vries's kind of contribution to to their efforts, which to be fair was almost non-existent, but I mean he still did what he did, and the car is still the worst on the grid. So it was uh, it was just very awkward, very very awkward, and straight away they were on it on social media with the welcome back Daniel Ricardo and like all these welcome back videos, and it just left a bit of a sour taste in a lot of fans' uh, mouths, unfortunately. Yeah, a couple of things on this. Nick DeVries is a very, very talented driver. 
just because it hasn't gone well when he's gotten to the to the to the, to the summit and he hasn't had a car, which is a crock of mm. a much stronger word than I can use on on on, on the radio <laughs> or on the podcast. The manner in which he and his team have handled it is poor. And the one mm. word we've talked about a lot, uh, especially since Netflix has gotten, you know, it's become a Netflix series, is control. Yeah. Control the narrative, control what's coming out of the teams, control very carefully Absolutely. what's being said. So it's not surprising, Sarah, that Red Bull have reacted the way they have. But mm. he's done nothing, like you said, except cost him a million. He hasn't done anything. I can't remember ever us mentioning him going, God, that was good from Nick DeVries. Like we've mentioned no. nearly every driver on the uh, on the grid at some point this season going, mm. that was a good day for them because we always look down the grid away from Verstappen as much as we can. So that being said, now Daniel's back. Now he's drinking out of the boot and the videos are all coming back again. But <laughs> he's under pressure. I mean, he now has an Absolutely. opportunity. But has he the car to deliver anything? Or is it a case of... The car is so bad that even if he does any way good or not ruin it or crash it, that that will be seen as a success. But is this the eventual stepping stone back into the full team, do you think? I would find it very difficult to believe that there hasn't been some sort of potential path laid out for him in order for him to take this job. Because if you look at what he was saying when he left Formula One and there were other offers on the table from teams at the very end of the grid, he said no. He didn't want to be in a car that was just trailing around. And now all of a sudden he's happy to be in the worst car on the grid. So I find it hard to believe that there hasn't been some sort of conversation around, look, we want you to outperform, obviously, Nick DeVries. We also expect that, you know, if we had to call you up to replace Checo, that you would be ready to do that. And I think... I also think that this is part of a larger sort of restructure of AlphaTauri. We've heard a lot of, you know, there's going to be a new name. They're going to be rebranded. The fashion thing didn't stick. Um, And they've also said that they're going to start reducing pretty significantly the investment in their driver academy. So I think this is, there's a bit of a pivot coming here. And I don't know if Daniel necessarily is the key to all of it, but I think he could definitely be, depending, as you say, on his performance, a big player in how it turns out because he's said publicly that he wants to get the car into a top 10 finish. That's, I mean, that's beyond, I would say, the the abilities of car, even car plus driver. Mm. I think it's just, you know, they've they finished twice in the top 10 in the races we've had so far this year, but that, that was Yuki Snowda. And he's been in that team for for a couple of years now. So uh, I just, if that's the bar they've set for him, I wish him the very best of luck. (laughs) But I think there's a a strong possibility that he doesn't doesn't hit that bar. I think that's fair. And I think two points that you made very well there, Checo and Sergio Perez, who is Max Verstappen's partner, our driving uh, partner in uh, Red Bull at the moment, who's not delivering in a very, very, very good car. He should be getting that car in second in every race. No excuses Mm -hmm. because Verstappen has shown that it's they're so far ahead with Newey's design and now we're going to hear very shortly even more news coming for the Hungarian Grand Prix where they've upgraded. Last one on Daniel Ricciardi. I know how much you like him, Sarah. I mean, he's hard Mm -hmm. not to like. He's a nice guy, but, you know, this isn't a nice guy business. I remember at McLaren, I remember watching him in a car that wasn't as bad anyway, nor near as bad as the car that he's going to be driving very shortly, the Alvatore, and he couldn't get the job done at McLaren. That's yeah. why he lost his seat. That car yeah. was much more drivable, it had much more a budget behind him and a lot more interaction probably with the greatest of respect to Alvatore, probably better technicians and better pit stop crews and whatever. They just had the bigger budget and it's McLaren for God's sake. Yeah. If he can't do it in a McLaren, middle of the road car, What's to say that he's going to be able to do it in Alpatari? And if he can't do it in that, then that has to be the end. I agree. I think if he can't, if he if he doesn't outperform Yuki Sonoda in the next, like let's say from the Hungarian Grand Prix to the end of the season, I think he's probably out of Formula One for good. Um, I you know I don't like to say that, but I think that's realistic. As you say, he struggled hugely at McLaren, and also he found it hard at Renault at the beginning. He doesn't adapt quickly to new drives he just doesn't he has a very specific way of driving the car um and you know i just don't know if he can do it i i would love to see him do it and and make the most of this but 
it's just such a it's such a bizarre storyline. There's so many things that that could happen here. And look, at least it's introduced a new variable, even if it is at the end of the grid. I think this is going to be a, a big storyline for the rest of the year. It certainly is, and it's something to keep an eye on. And it's look, we're, it's great to have him back. I think he's mm. got the talent that he deserves another shot. But I think yeah. you know he needs to keep a low profile if it's possible for him with this. Drive solidly, drive safely get the car home and then try and get into the top 10 like he said and then he, he'll get his chance because I, th- I don't think Perez he should last the season but even if he doesn't uh, the opportunity is there to be put back into a car where he could make a name for himself all over again Max is going to be there for the next couple of years Max ain't going anywhere yeah. and Max is a world champion and being number two to Max isn't the worst thing in the world either because you'll pick up podiums and you'll pick up wins and you'll do what Perez isn't doing but a lot has to go right for Daniel Ricciardo for that to happen. But we'll see. As you said, it's going to be very, very interesting to watch. You're listening to the Big Red Bench. We're here with Corkstrand FM's resident Formula 1 expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, talking to me, Jeremy McCarthy. And now we're going to preview the big Grand Prix of the weekend, the Hungarian GP. Before we talk about the Hungarian GP and what might happen, let's talk about something we know is happening. And that is the Red Bull that's already about 100 miles down the road on its way to a driver's championship and a constructor's championship have announced, uh, Sarah, some interesting news heading into the weekend that probably means we're not even going to look at them. We're going to look at all the cars directly behind them. Is that fair? Correct. Yes, as we've been doing. But unfortunately, it looks like we'll have to do it even more because they're threatening further dominance. So there's going to be a side pod upgrade for the Hungarian Grand Prix and nobody wanted to hear this news, but it's somewhat inevitable. They're predicting that this upgrade is going to give them around two-tenths uh, further advantage over the rest of the field. And I think, you know, I tweeted this yesterday, but the scary thing for that about that to me is not the two-tenths advantage. It's the fact that there's still ingenu- ingenuity left in the tank at Red Bull. Like, where they are now isn't even the top of their game. That's really the scary part because everyone else is still trying to catch up when, you know, pre-upgrade. And now apparently we're going to see even more. Like that to me is really the, the downside of this because it it just flattens the whole experience and it just flattens everything, really. You know, I, I was pre you know looking at the, the GP and the history and everything there's three three different winners over the last three years but as you say realistically who uh, who else is it going to be you know is he going to go on to win every race this season probably um you know it's just it's really difficult to see any kind of competition at this point Yes, I think that's fair. We have to be honest about these things and admit it to our, our, our very uh, learned listeners. I think it's fair to say that most people that listen to this podcast and Formula One know what they're listening to and know what they're talking about. I suppose looking down the grid then, um, we should be talking about Lando Norris. We should be talking about mm. McLaren because they did so well at the British GP. But Lando was very quick to dampen down the enthusiasm about the car and all that. And I get it. This isn't... Uh, the, the downforce and the way the twisty circuit that the Hungarian Grand Prix, it doesn't necessarily suit the McLaren. Is there any chance here that he's just downplaying things and that they may have something in the background? Or are we looking at Aston Martin at Ferrari and Mercedes maybe uh, battling it out for second and third on the podium? Yeah, I think to be fair, I think it's probably all of the above, maybe with the McLaren slightly lagging behind. It doesn't, as you said, particularly suit their, their setup. And, they're also still, you know, they they did get good results in the last couple of races, but they're still figuring out the upgrades. Like there's, I'm, I'm fairly certain that there's more performance left in that car, particularly from Oscar Piastri because he got the upgrades late. So I think, I do think to be fair to Lando Norris, he has the capability to outperform his car. So I think you could, I wouldn't rule him out, but I definitely think, barring you know any major strategy mess ups or any crashes or anything i think it's it is probably between you know the aston martins the mercedes and the ferraris and checo question mark i i i would love to say that's his new nickname yeah checo question mark i just don't i don't know he has as you said you know he seems to have just lost his mojo. So I, I'm not really even confident at this point of putting him in there with those other three teams because he's kind of, he's really isolated himself um, and become sort of a separate entity is the way I'm almost thinking about him uh, at this point. So that's part, that's the way I see it, I think, playing out. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. The Hungarian Grand Prix is, of course, on uh, this Sunday. I think we're going to see a very interesting race, bar the winner, who I think we already know who that is, barring disaster. Uh, the weather forecast looks good as well, so there's not going to really be weather. Tires, the Red Bull seems much, much easier on tires with that Adrian Newey design. And if they get the side pods, like you said, and if the upgrade is two tenths, forget about it. You know, the race is over. But as we look at the driver standings, Max Verstappen way out in front at 255 points. Sergio Perez has to perform this weekend. It's a real pressure on him now. Now he has two wins and five podiums, but he's got to do better because he's only that, he's not that far ahead of third place. Fernando Alonso, whose mojo is another person that's gone missing in recent weeks, but Lewis mm-hmm. Hamilton in the Mercedes, Carlos Sainz Jr. in the Ferrari. Who knows, as you said, I think a twisty tight circuit and a good qualification for these drivers, I think, and the boost to get up the grid. Who knows what will happen on the actual race day. As far as constructors are concerned, we already know who's won it. They're way out in front, 10 wins, 15 podiums. Mercedes, though, just ahead of Aston Martin. That's pretty important to them. And Ferrari, and now McLaren as well, they need to close the gap in fifth place to Ferrari and fourth. So there's a lot to, lot at stake at this weekend, a lot at stake for the, for the remainder of the season, even though we already know who's number one in the drivers and who's going to win the Constructors' Championship. And looking ahead to next year as well, particularly for Mercedes um, a positive end to the season is badly badly needed well we've re- we've looked at Daniel Ricciardo we've talked about him drinking from his his boot uh, we've previewed the Hungarian Grand Prix but in the interim Sarah McKenzie Foley where can we find all your expertise on all things Formula 1 yeah so you'll find me live tweeting during the race weekend at MacTweets underscore and you'll also find me on YouTube if you search Sarah McKenzie F1 Excellent stuff. We will talk to you next week once again here on the Big Red Bench to look back over the Hungarian Grand Prix and all the F1 headlines that no doubt will come out from it. But for now, Sarah McKenzie Foley from everybody here on the bench. Thank you very much. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM. On Saturday, July 22nd, in UPMC Nolan Park, the Glen Dimplex Senior Camogie All-Ireland Semi-Finals take place at 3.30pm. Tipperary taking on Waterford in the curtain raiser. And then at 5.30, Cork and Galway going head-to-head for a place in this year's All-Ireland Final. Uh, following on from their fantastic victory over the All-Ireland Champions Kilkenny at Crow Park, I caught up with Cork's Senior Manager Matthew Toomey ahead of a fantastic weekend for Camogie and the biggest weekend uh, in the Cork Senior Camogie calendar thus far. A chance to avenge uh, a couple of losses to Galway from earlier in the year and get a place in the All-Ireland Final on the line in UPMC Nolan Park on Saturday. So here's Matthew Toomey talking to the Big Red Bench. Delighted now to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by the Cork Senior Camogie Manager Matthew Toomey ahead of this weekend's All-Ireland semi-final against Galway that takes place in Nolan Park, UPMC Nolan Park to give it its full name, a part of a double header on Saturday, Tipperary taking on Waterford at half three and then Cork facing Galway at half past five Matthew, you're very welcome back to the bench, how are you? Very good, Joe. thanks for having me on um, Just wanted to ask you, starting off the Cork game is second this weekend against Galway, before we talk about Galway and it's a half five you know, throw-in. So the logistics around getting up to Nolan Park, it's a late throw-in, there's a game on before it. Does that make it make things difficult or do you just prepare as you normally do and have all your plans in place when, when you get to Kilkenny? Yeah, um, I suppose at this stage we've, we've all the plans kind of set up and set in stone at this stage. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I suppose kind of meeting time is kind of around 12.30 like so we, we've kind of timed out then we've, we've stopped on the go the whole time to, to throw in. Um, so look, yeah, like if, if it was up in Dublin, we were another kind of hour or so and onto the journey. So look, we've we dealt with now and the players kind of have a good idea of what we're doing. So, no, we, we played up in that and right. Um, the start of the year, it was, I think it was a half-five game as well, like, but it was, it was kind of a longer journey. So look, we're used to this. We just, you know, the players just deal with us. Like we give them the times and they just slot around that. So like, we don't make any issue about it. Um, the fact it's UPMC Nolan Park means the side and the pitch is going to be top-notch as well. I presume you're happy with that. Very much so. Yeah, we we, like, we were training practically tonight ourselves, which is you know the side is absolutely beautiful. Like, but we were just even saying that, like, you know, the fact that the Kilkenny hurlers are in the All Ireland final, I presume they have the Northern Park in tip-top shape as well. You know, the pure hurling field we played earlier this year. So, um, yeah, not look, we're really looking forward to playing. It's, 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 it's you know, has the best tradition of hurling in, in the country. Like, so looking really looking forward. To it. Yes, and really looking forward to it on the back of a, uh, a terrific run for you and for the players and, uh, you know, that morale-boosting win over Kilkenny. Um, in the aftermath of it, I know we spoke immediately in Croke Park, but since then, if you had time to reflect on it, just what a great performance it was. I mean, you, you really had to dig deep to win it, but you showed your character, your grit and your determination and no little skill either to get over the All-Ireland Champions. 
Yeah, look, you you have to take, you know, obviously when we look back at the game and really analyse it, like there's a few things we pick out of it, but look, that's that's our job. Um, you know, the the main thing after the game was look, like obviously there's a bit of relief, but a lot of pride in them. You know, that they, they were under pressure again, and they they stayed resilient. And and what we found the most rewarding is they, they stuck to the plan. Um, you know, even even the last play that we where we should have got a penalty where Amy um was fouled. Um, it was just the, the run up to that the way they worked the ball like it was in the energy time we were under first pressure like and, and for still to have the, the, the you know the noodle I suppose to, to, to work that kind of a scenario was great um, so like overall you have to be happy like they were Ireland champions like we knew like they, they, they weren't going they, like they hadn't a great year to be fair to them um, for their standards like, but we knew would come up against us up in Cope Air Sorry just before we talk about Galway um Brian Dolan, the, the, the Kilkenny manager, stepped down afterwards. I know you hold him in high esteem. He's he's fantastic for Kilkenny and for Camogie, and you're sorry to see him go. Yeah, yeah. Look, he's a great guy. Um, it really is. Like even even after the beat us in Ireland, I know it's an easy thing to do, but like they were on the way down to Kilkenny in the bus, and he sent me probably the nicest text I got off anyone um, after Ireland. It was, it was unbelievable, and we've been staying in touch since. Like he, he look, he's has to win two All Ireland. He's um. No, he's after sort of bring them as far as he can. Like they're a fantastic team, like and he's going to be a massive loss. And his management team, like they're like it's a start for the management team, so that they're going to be a huge loss. to Kenny Camogie and you know, so look, I'd be sad to see him look, but at least now we can meet up for a point and and you know have a crack. <laughs> Indeed, um, Galway uh, in in front of you, Matthew, heading into the semi final. I mean, look, you've played them three times this year. There's been very very little in each and every of those games. Only a point at most. In, in in the three games, um, you know them inside out. They know you inside out, but they have defeated you, um, you know, in the league final as well and in the championship. So look, I suppose heading into it, is is it too much of a cliche to say Cork are actual underdogs, or does that matter? And coming into a semi final, does form even matter? Does it is is it all about experience now and just performing, hitting your goals, each player hitting their, their personal goals on the day to get over the line. Yeah, look, I, I suppose it's 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 very similar to the quarter final. It's it's a who plays who who imposes their game plan more. Um, look, they have beaten us three times. We haven't beaten Galway since twenty seventeen, which is unbelievable for Cork. Like, but um, no, look, we're, we're really relishing the challenge. Um, that, yeah, we're going in as underdogs, but look, we 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 take no loss of that. Like, we we've a lot of faith in our players. Um, they're they're a savage team. Like, you know. Whatever way we want to play hurling with them, they'll, they'll match you. Um, and they've, you know, they've some stars, you know, that we have to go for. But, um, you know, look, we're, we're, we're going, we're concentrating ourselves, trying to get the best of our team and, you know, trying to play it our way and dictate the game as much as we can. And, you know, just, you know, we have to start off in a, in a good stead as well. You know, we did well up there in the first round of the championship. But, um, when we went in the half time, three points up, we should be more. But our conversion rate in the second half was, Awful, and um, we can't afford to do that. Like you know, we can't leave them in the game. You know, like we have to kind of, you know, it's not promote as much as we can, and that that's going to be tough. And but look, it's a challenge. And like from knowing these players, I know they relish these kind of challenges. Like you know, it's back against the wall stuff again. And um, you know, look, we're really looking forward to this. You know, the, the, I think the conversation we had tonight, we have to embrace it. Semi final, like it's not a fair factor. You know that you might lose out in the final. You have to relish it. Like we we got we're in the non Ireland semi final against probably the best team in us. So it's up to us to, you know, to go out and make a show for ourselves and make a good case and have a crack off it. Exactly, have a crack off it. On Saturday, July 22nd in UPMC Nolan Park, uh, in Kilkenny as part of a doubleheader of the Glen Dimplex All-Ireland Camogie Senior Semi-Finals. Tipperary and Waterford throwing in at 3.30, but at 5.30, Cork and Galway going head-to-head for a place in the All-Ireland Final. On behalf of everybody here in Cork Shire FM and in the Big Red Bench, Matthew Toomey, to you and your players, the very best of luck. Thank you very much. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Ava O'Donovan's last gasp equaliser earned Cork a draw with Cavan following a cracking 2023 All-Ireland Under-16A LGFA final in Clara County Offaly last Sunday. The O'Donovan Ross of forward finished the afternoon with 8-0-8 but it took a full team effort for Cork leading for the majority of the final to earn the right to live another day. Despite a poor pitch and disappointing facilities for an All-Ireland LGFA final a huge attendance was treated to a rip-roaring second 
second half in which a draw was the fairest result. This was an excellent Cavan side, bolstered by corner forward Mia Lynch's six points and they looked to have won it when Kate Fegan netted the game's only goal in the dying embers. That made it 1-8 to not 10 but Cork were far from finished. Avo Donovan's free level matters three minutes into injury time amid a welter of excitement and a draw looked likely until Cavan's Ella Sheridan converted a close range free. Cork's O'Donovan underlined her quality however by floating over a leveller with the final's last kick to force a replay which takes place in Nina on Friday July 28th. This was a terrific advert for uh, ladies football. Two fantastic teams that finished Cork 12 points, Cavan 1-9 the under 16 uh, LGFA All-Ireland final in Clara uh, the rule stating that there's no extra time on the night uh, it's on the afternoon itself so a replay but there will be a winner on the night in Nina on February 28th. Now, at the time of recording, Jamie Cronin and the Cork Miners are preparing for their All-Ireland semi-final, but we will have reaction from Jamie and from the Cork camp on next week's podcast. But for now, fantastic result for the uh, Cork under-16s. As I said, they live to fight another day. Drew with Cavan, 12 points to 1-9. Last kick of the game from Avo Donovan. And straight after the match, I got the thoughts of the Cork manager, Kieran O'Shea. Uh, Kieran O'Shea, um, You've drawn today's All-Ireland Under-16 LGFA final with Cavan following a late, late point from Avo Donovan, a cracking finale to what was a very tight game throughout. What's your immediate reaction and the fact that you now go to a replay? Uh, I suppose, look, it, it was a fantastic game. Um, we were two points up there at the end and we, we there was a sucker punch goal and, you know, we were back to the wall, but I always had belief in this group and I knew this team, we'd get back down one more chance, which we did, and in fairness to Ava, and the fairest pressure, she stuck it over the bar. Um, so look, we'll um, we'll reset, uh, we'll regroup, and Friday week we'll go again, and we'll be um, looking for, looking forward to the challenge. Um, difficult conditions, even though the sun is splitting the stones now as soon as the final whistle goes. But there was a lot of heavy rain, a heavy pitch. wasn't easy out there today. No, no. In fairness, the, the pitch was very heavy, right? Um, and look, it, you could see there in the girls in both sides, like it, it was taking a lot out of the legs. But uh, look, hopefully now there'll be a new venue now in a couple of weeks time, Friday week, and we'll go again, and we'll be looking forward to it. Was that your toughest game of the season so far? I mean, this is a really talented uh, Cavan team. You have a talented team too, but when you had to answer questions deep, deep into a game and an All-Ireland final, you answered them. Yeah, well, we were look, we were under no illusions coming up here today. We knew the, the mammoth task that faced us. Um, look, Cavan, they've, they've uh, won also very, very easy. They've, they've won the semi-final by six points against a very, very strong Mayo team. So we were under no illusions coming up here today. Um, but look, we've good belief in this group and, and fairness and when, they, when it really mattered there today, they, they went down the field and got that point. Uh, I know it's probably a very exciting game for the neutrals, but uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day, look, we're delighted to be back in with another chance in the Ireland two weeks' time. Um, how much will this game have brought you on, Kieran? Because you know when it comes to training before all Ireland's, they're tough, they're tight, but you're watching yourself as well, you want to be fit. A game like that today, and, and like on such a tough ground as well, and the way your players performed, I mean, that's really going to bring them up another notch. Uh, yeah, like it's it's as I said before, you know, you can be playing challenge matches and training away, and you you don't really know how how we're going. A game like this brings you on. It's worth like ten training sessions, uh, and the girls. Look, we knew we were going to battle there today, and and so did Kevin. And look, it is a fantastic game, a great game for ladies football. And look, we'll be ready to go again in two weeks time. Best of luck, and we'll be there with you. Thanks, sir. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.